0: Let me open us in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this this time we can spend together. We thank you for keeping us through this, this year, Father. And, uh, what a privilege to be able to study your word, a uh, privilege that millions and even billions of people throughout history have never had. Uh, but how we thank you for being ra- gracious to us. We know better. We don't deserve it, but you've had mercy upon us. and. We do pray as we look at the, the final book in your canon that you would teach us by your Spirit you'd give us understanding and uh, encourage us as we see that we are more than conquerors in in Christ as we see that you win, Father you are in control of all things and we have a glorious hope to look forward to and so we, we ask, Holy Spirit, please uh, make these truths a reality in our lives, and please change us to live them out. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, Revelation. Uh, a A lot of debate around this book, a lot of discussion around the book of Revelation and different ways it can be interpreted, there there are difficulties with every uh, every one of the different schools of thought, so I'm just going to give you the view that I think uh, has the least number of loose ends and explains the passages the best and fits together with the rest of scripture as I understand it. So. Uh, written by John the language and the themes are very similar to his gospel and his epistles and we see it's the revelation in verse 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near so it's quite a quite an introduction quite a chain so it's a revelation of God to Jesus God the Father to Jesus Jesus to an angel an angel to John and John to us Okay, so this uh, it's a whole path that it's travelled along. This revelation—it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, as the idea that it's about him, but also it's it's the revelation given to him, as we've already seen. Uh, it's about things that must soon take place, and the time is near. And so that touches upon one of the the, the areas of debate—the dating of the Book of Revelation. So there are those who say that the book of Revelation is written from about 60 to 65 A.D. And the majority of Revelation is fulfilled, or some say all, all of Revelation is fulfilled in 70 A.D. Those who say all of it is fulfilled in 70 A.D. are heretics because they're saying Jesus has already come as well. Okay, and they, as Paul says, they, they overthrow the faith of some by saying the resurrection has already occurred. So those are heretics. But there are others who say, uh, much of it or most of it occurred in 70 AD what happened in 70 AD the temple was destroyed. yes so that's when well that's when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD so one of the arguments is it says it must soon take place and the time is near and so they say you you can't say it's you know, it's talking about things that happened 2,000 years later. If it says it must soon take place, okay. um, this is a very minority view holders position. Most scholars argue for around about 90 to 95 AD the authorship, and they would argue that, depending on their position, that the must soon take place means they must soon start to take place. So it doesn't mean they're all going to happen in a short period of time, but they start. They're starting. The time is near for the start of all these events. Okay, And then they're ongoing. <clears throat> so the people who hold this position are called Preterists, or partial Preterists. Uh, and then they would say it's, it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the Temple, the judgment of Israel by the Lord, and that's really what it's all about. And they, they'll fit Nero into 666, and uh, all of the things fit into that period of time. Um, you have to do a whole lot of, you have to change Nero's name to Neuron. You have to do a whole lot of funny things to get Nero to mean 666. Um, you, uh, it's not a, I don't find it a compelling position at all. Okay. So I'm not even really going to go into that just to let you know that there is there is that position Uh, the other positions are that revelation uh, this is the historicist position is that it's pretty much chronological so it's giving us a history of the world in chronological order so, after the letters to the churches, chapter 4, all the way through to the end. okay. Uh, and even in chapters 2 and 3, they will argue that the seven churches <coughs> represent seven church, seven ages in church history. okay. So they argue that that's also chronological, and we are living in the time of the church of Laodicea. So, we are living at the time where the church is rich financially, but... In reality, is poor, and is naked and blind. And you can sort of fit it in. Um, I haven't researched it too much, but again, it's then a very, very Western-centric view because you couldn't apply that to the church in Asia or the church in South America and in parts of Africa. So it, it is focusing more on the Western church. Uh, the problem with this view is that you will find uh, everyone is wiped out on the planet several times okay, as you read Revelation. So it's like, okay, that's the end of the world and you've still got 13 more chapters. Okay, here's the end of the world and you've still got... So, you know, to say it's it's chronological but then God keeps on destroying everyone and judging everyone and it's final judgment and then you carry on and then final judgment. It just doesn't fit with the chronological order. Uh, The other view is futurist. So that's saying it's pretty much all dealing with the end. Okay, the future. But specifically the final part. And um, maybe the final seven year period. Okay. Uh, And that view is linked to, we have discussed it before. So this is a timeline of the time we're living in. Revelation is dealing with this last little bit. And then a thousand year reign. So Jesus Christ comes back to earth and he sets up a millennial kingdom, a thousand year reign. Okay? And so that's more the futurist view. And then there's the idealist view, and that is a view that it's more cyclical. Okay? So that's why and that would explain the you know these several final judgments. So if you understand it to be cyclical, then it fits. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> so it's looking at it in that way, and that's the way I understand it. I understand I would I would see elements of all of this. It, of course, it's dealing with the history of the world. It is uh, maybe weighted more to the few, to the final uh, aspects of what's going to happen in God's plan. But it's definitely cyclical, okay, And the best analogy I heard, I might have mentioned it to you already was by Riddlebarger, that it's like a uh, when you watch soccer or rugby, and there's replays, so they have a goal and then they show the goal from this angle and this angle and this angle. And so that's what you're happening. What's happening? You've got uh, seven cycles in the book of Revelation, sevens an important number. And each time you're looking at the same events, this period of history from pretty much Christ's first coming, a little bit later, but it's covering that that period from John all the way through to his second coming. And so this is what it will be like. Okay, Let's look at it from this side. This is what it's going to be like. Let's zoom in on a few of the... The main philosophies, and let's zoom in on some of the main ways that Satan's going to try and destroy the Church. Let's zoom in on some of the judgments that are going to occur, uh, and and uh, and that's what's going on. Okay, any questions or comments about that so far? Does it make sense? Okay, so uh and we start we see the Lord Jesus meets with John, or John sees the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> and we get an insight into the genre. Uh, revelation. As a, you know, like remember Daniel. Daniel has elements of apocalyptic literature. It's not all apocalyptic, so don't say, "Okay, this book is only this genre." Remember, Daniel has narrative as well. It tells us the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all those things. And then he'll have apocalyptic si- aspects to it. So you just need to be wise in how you interpret. So uh, the letters to the churches are, are epistles. Letters to, to real churches, in chapters two and three. So, uh, we 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 don't have to say Oh, it's all apocalyptic. So these are not real letters, and it's not real churches, and all that kind of thing. Uh, they are real, but even within the, the letters, there might be apocalyptic terms like oh, "you'll be thrown into jail for ten days." You know, it's doubtful that that means you know you're literally going to be thrown in jail for a period of ten days. So we just need some wisdom as we go through it. So that's genre analysis. As we, as we learn how to read the Bible in more sophisticated ways, we can pick up okay, uh, what's going on here. But right at the beginning we have this, this view of the Lord Jesus. John, verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. So perhaps you grew up or I grew up with a, this teaching that the tribulation is at the end. You know, the tribulation period. If you've watched or read Left Behind series, or watched the movie, you know the tribulation force and all of those things. What does John say? I am in the tribulation with you. Okay. The tribulation has been this whole period of time. We're in the tribulation. You're in the tribulation right now. Okay. Uh, John was in it. We're in it, and all of God's people will be in this tribulation period. And the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. So that's where they sent political exiles, trouble causes. It was like Robin Island. That's the, uh, so John is sent there because, because he proclaims the gospel and that's sort of sedition. Uh, it's, it's not willing to... to he's not, he wasn't willing to bow down and worship Caesar. So he's on the isle of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's only, to, only time we have the Lord's Day phrase in, uh, in in Scripture, okay? In this way, apart from the Day of the Lord, but the Lord's Day to use it like this, uh, and it's been understood as the sun, as a Sunday, the first day of the week. We know that the early Church gathered. Paul would say, on the first day of the week, when you gather, lay, put aside money, okay? Your tithes and offerings and those kind of things. So, um, again, it's just another argument for keeping the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. Okay, it's, uh, those who say every day is the Lord's Day, it's like saying every day is special. If you say every day is special, then no day is special. Okay? Um, yes, of course, every day is the Lord's, belongs to the Lord, but it's a special day of worship. Okay, now he, he sees... Uh, This figure, in the midst of the golden lampstands, and again, don't be discouraged when you find things that you don't understand, symbols that you don't understand. So here's just a little example, this one's quite easy, so the lampstands, okay, there's somebody standing amongst lampstands, what on earth are lampstands? Well he's going to go on to explain in verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars, That you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there it tells you. What are lampstands? Churches. What are stars? Angels or messengers. Okay. So he sees this figure now one like a son of man verse 13 clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest the hairs of his head were white like wool as white as snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength do you think that's literal or figurative? figurative uh, do you think the Lord Jesus looks like a human being, or he looks like this? Human being. human being. That's what the what the the Bible teaches us. He has a glorified body, and even in his glorified body, he looks. He, he's our man in glory. He's in, he, he took a flesh. He took flesh upon himself for all eternity. So it's figurative. Uh, it's it's that's the genre. So we can understand it. So uh, we're not reading it in a literalistic way. We understand this is symbolism. It's symbolizing many aspects and attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. His purity, his high priestly ministry, his kingship, his wisdom, his omniscience, you know, eyes, flaming eyes that can penetrate and pierce anything, you know, like Superman in the movies, just like those laser beams. Uh, So he sees all things. He knows all things. He he has a, a sword coming out of his mouth. His word is the sword of the Spirit, it's powerful, it can uh, cut down and destroy, and all of these things. We're seeing uh, Christ in PowerPoint. Okay, <laughs> uh, It's a, like a, a, a graphic novel giving us a picture so we can understand his, his attributes. Now, he is holding the seven stars, and he's walking amongst the lampstands. The seven stars are the messengers of the angels, and... Uh, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Uh, now, it may well be an angel, that each church has an angel, that's how it's, it's introduced, but the word for, uh, translated as angel can be translated as messenger as well. And that makes more sense. There's nowhere else in scripture where we have this idea that each church has a guardian angel. Or, And besides that, if the Lord tells the angel something, how's the angel going to get it to the church? It doesn't well, poor Baptists. It's definitely never going to get to us because we like. Even if we had a vision, we wouldn't believe it. So, like, it's uh, like, <laughs> uh, we say like, uh, so how is it? How is it ever going to get to us? Well, um, it's if you say messenger. That makes more sense. Then I'd say it's the leadership in the church. So this is a letter to the leadership in the church. And there are seven churches that real churches and. Um, this is, our, this is Asia Minor. Ephesus is on the coast. And Isle of Patmos is somewhere out nearby. Uh, and you'll find that these seven churches are pretty much in a circle. Okay, They're on the postal route. So that's the route they follow. And so the letter would go on from Patmos to Ephesus, to the harbor there, and then gone along like that. And so that gives us the, the structure of the, the seven these seven churches that are, are written to. And some churches only have good things. The Lord only has good things to say. Some only has only has bad things. And then some He has good and bad. Uh, but again, now, uh, we have seven churches. And seven is important. There are seven benedictions. There are seven cycles. There are seven vials. Seven trumpets. Seven seals. Uh, so seven in Scripture means... Six. Sorry, six. Uh, yeah, the number nine. of man is six, yeah, yeah. Six. yeah. you say that? perfect, perfection, yeah, uh, and so seven churches, seven angels, or seven messengers, uh, while they're literal and they're real, because of seven has this significance in the book and in scripture, I don't think it's it's illegitimate to say. These seven churches represent the whole church age, not chronologically, but every church will fit into, be like one of these churches or a mixture of them. Okay, so it's pretty much comprehensive of explaining, you know, what can go wrong with churches and what churches can do right. Okay, and so very helpful uh, to 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 just check up are we. How, how do we line up with with these these letters okay? Okay so um, we don't have time to go through all of them. it's just brilliant the Holy Spirit uh, inspiration and John's well it's really the Holy Spirit's inspiration because he's given the message uh, he gives the message to John the way he he contextualizes the message for each church, and uses elements in each church, in each city, that would be meaningful to the hearers. Okay, so don't have time to go through all of them. It's a wonderful study in and of itself, and um, maybe, Lord willing, I'm thinking if, when we've done parables, maybe to look at Revelation. But we'll see. Um, but it, just one example: the church at Laodicea was. Famous for banking, okay. And so he says, you think you're rich, okay? It would have meant something, but you're actually poor. They were also famous for uh, eye medicine, okay, to fix people's eyes. And he says, I think you can see, but you're actually blind. Come and get eye cell from me, okay. So uh, you can see how meaningful it would have been for for the people in Laodicea. Okay, so brilliant. Um okay, uh what we find as we go through them though, and I don't have time to pick up all the verses, but it's a theme of the church is to be a lampstand is to be a light to the world it's to be a witness. you will see Jesus uh, terms like testimony and witness and martyr in fact that's where we get the word martyr from is is the, the word translated witness um uh, to be a light. These are massive themes in the, in the book of Revelation. That's what God's people are supposed to be like in the midst of of a, of a crooked and perverse generation. They're supposed to shine like stars. So there's these seven churches. Uh, and then uh, it moves on to chapter 4 and we see a throne in heaven. And we see that the people in heaven, these creatures and elders, are singing the song. Verse 11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, what are they singing about? What are they praising God for? Creation. creation. So, they're praising God for creation. Chapter 5, then, we find there's a scroll that's sealed. And nobody can open it. And that's really, you know, history. The unfolding of history. Nobody can can open it. So John begins to weep that nobody is worthy to open it. But they say to him, don't worry, John. Don't cry. Verse 5 of chapter 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay. So he says, weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he has a very in, important interpretive key with revelation. Uh, the, sometimes it's the ideal and then the real. Okay, So you, you see or, or hear the ideal and then you see the real. Okay? But it's the same thing. So uh, if I said to Joe, I said, Joe, look behind you, there's a lion. What did you expect to see when you turned around? If, you, if we were in the bush, okay. a, lion. a lion. Okay, so that's what they say. To, that's what the elder says to John. Don't worry. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What does he see in verse six? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. There we have seven again. All the attributes of God and the Holy Spirit. And he went and took the scroll, etc. And he opens it. So, what is it? Who, who? We, we, I mean, we know, you should know who, who it is. It's Jesus, isn't it? Uh, the root of David. Is he the lion of the tribe of Judah or is he the lamb? But he's both. Okay. And that's the beauty of it. Okay. So, uh, but just remember this because it happens several times in, in the book of Revelation where uh, come, view the bride. He has a building. Okay? Uh, he has 144,000. He has people from every tribe and nation. Okay, So it, it's, a, it's a feature of the, this, uh, this genre. Okay, now, verse 9, they sang a new song. Okay, isn't this amazing? At some moment in history, In heaven, they were singing a song and then the track was changed and they sang a new song. The first song they were singing was praising God for creation. Now they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What do they praise God for now? Redemption. You See that shift. It's really the the old covenant and the new, isn't it? It's what Christ Christ has done. When you go through the Old Testament, massive emphasis on God's creative power, isn't it? The the prophets, the poets. He's the creator, and that's important for us. But, uh, and it's we we we're, we're encouraged to enjoy creation. It's good to enjoy creation, to go on holidays, to enjoy God's good gift of creation. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. But we must not become like the world where that's ultimate. We have a new song. There is something greater than creation. There is something much more important than enjoying holidays and and those things. And that is redemption. He saved us. And so enjoy those things, but enjoy them as to the Lord who has saved you. Okay? Okay. there there's been a shift in heaven. They're no longer singing about creation anymore, they're singing about Christ who has redeemed a people for him for himself from every tribe, every nation. Okay? It's stunning. Okay, now he's going to open the seals. He's worthy to open the seals. And he begins to open the seals and we have the four horsemen of, of the apocalypse. Okay, the four horsemen of Revelation. And in, in the beginning you're going to see why Revelation can be very complex because there's a white horse that is released and verse 2 says, And I looked and behold a white horse and his rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Okay, so some commentators say this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel going forth. Others say it's the antichrist. Okay, <laughs> so that just shows you. Now, to be fair, uh, you know, one could be radically wrong, or one would have to be radically wrong. Um, but both positions are orthodox. Both. Let me say this. Both. If you preach either one, they're both true. Okay. So. Does does the Lord Jesus go out and by the gospel go out and conquer people? Does the gospel go out and conquer people from all tribes and nations? Yes, it does. So that's true. Does the Antichrist also go out and conquer people and destroy people? Yes, he does. So uh, you just have to, you know, pay your money, buy your commentaries, and pick one. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the reasons why people say it's negative is because the other three horsemen are negative. They're not happy, nice characters going out there doing good. So they say if the three are bad, then surely the fourth one is bad. Maybe. But it could also be that you know, the one is the gospel going out, and always as the gospel goes out, the devil is going out trying to destroy, like the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Okay? Uh, but anyway, that's you get the idea. Uh, so the red then there's a rider on the red horse, so then they say that's the Antichrist going on behind. Now when I'm saying Antichrist here, I don't mean a final literal Antichrist. I mean spirit of Antichrist across, pretty much his between his first coming and second coming. So that these seals and trumpets and everything represent this period of history that we are living in now, before Christ's second coming. So the red horse characterizes this period of time. The white horse characterizes this period of time. Whether you see it as the gospel going forth, that's characterized this period of time, or you see it as uh, false teaching and demonic activity going out, that's also true. Okay? The third horse is a black horse who deals with, in the realms of economics. Okay? And so he says, um, a denarius for a little bit of wheat but don't touch the oil and the wine okay. basically uh, let the poor stay poor and the rich stay rich okay. that has characterized this period of time okay. uh, you, the oil and the wine if you if you go into a really poor rural area and you and normally people are very very hospitable but you wouldn't expect them to say yeah would you like I've got a nice a lovely 76 yeah uh, would you like some of it uh, wine is a luxury isn't it it's the wealthy okay olive oil as well Olive, it's 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 a luxury wheat is what people need that's a staple but it's a, it's a day a denarius a day's pay for a little bit of wheat okay. it's a vicious cycle st- stuck in it expensive just to survive but for the rich, it doesn't affect them. You, you can see that throughout history. Why do you have families that can stay wealthy for centuries? Uh, look at uh, Johann Rupert's company, Rembrandt, the stock exchange. You know, you have crashes. It's not as though people stop buying Rolexes and Mont Blanc and it carries on. They're above that. It doesn't affect them. In fact, they make more money when things crash. Okay, They've got hedge funds and all sorts of things and they've uh, I've forgotten the name where you make money on uh, when, a, when a stock falls um, uh, all of those things they buy up companies when they're when they've gone nearly bankrupt they buy them up and then they make money on them so they actually stay wealthy uh, a friend of mine sells airplanes you think the crash of 2008 you know what's going to happen How's it going? Fine. People are still buying and selling aeroplanes. Uh, so that's characterized this period of time. It's going to characterize world history. The rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. Okay. Uh, uh, the fourth one is the pale pale horse and death. It's called death, and Hades follows him. Have people been dying over this period of time? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Okay, everyone's been dying, and lots of people have been going to hell. It's characterized this period of time. There's going to be death. Uh, Then there's the fifth seal, and we see people who are saved. Okay, so again, what is characterized this time? People who are also saved. And then the sixth seal is the end of the world. So that's strange. We're only in chapter 6 and already it's the end of the world. Uh, That's what I was telling you about the cycle. uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but there's a great earthquake, etc., etc. Verse 15, And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free. See that? Everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? The great day has come. What is that? That's the day of the Lord. It's judgment. So this is going to characterize history, but the end will come. There will be a day of final judgment. So it doesn't make sense to say, well, then Revelation is chronological or it's all about the end because already we've got the end of the world. But the book still carries on. So the sixth seal then is the culmination. That is the end for this for this this camera angle this perspective. for this perspective. But there's one more seal, okay, and that seal is going to open up the other perspectives. Okay? But now what he like, what John or the the Lord likes to do, is is show you this is what it's like. But let me now show you the church. Let me show you the people of God, because remember the original hearers, uh, whether we date it early or late, are facing persecution. If it's early, they're under Nero. If it's later, they're under Domitian, and we know historically there was there was severe persecution of God's people. So um, it must have meant something to the original hearers. Otherwise, there's no encouragement at all. If uh, in terms of Um, this is explaining just how it ends in several thousand years' time. But here, it is an encouragement. Look, what you guys are going through, your persecution and rejection and temptations and trials, that's ordained by God. That's going to characterize this period of time. But, no matter what Satan throws against the church, he cannot overcome the church. Christ will conquer him and destroy him and he will preserve his people. So that's why it's an encouragement to all people at all times but especially during persecution or trials uh, but it's uh, it's timeless in that sense. Sorry, yes. So this sorry just to clarify this end it is it signifies an end of this particular perspective but does it also then characterize the final end or just the end of this perspective? No, it is, it is explaining to us the final end okay. as well. So they're, they're all legitimate camera angles. Okay. So what they say is, is true. Um, yeah, so it will be horrific for every human being on that day. People will be crying out for death. Okay. Um, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Would you, if you're not right with God on that day, you would long, you would, you will cry out for death rather than see him. Okay, so now he he uh, he says, verse three: Do not harm the earth, and or the sea, or the trees, until we have. This is chapter seven. Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads, and I heard the number of the sealed. So. God's people who are sealed on their foreheads, okay uh, Again, when we come to like passages that will talk about unless they have the mark of their beast on their forehead and on their, on their hands, if you as we already here we're picking it up already, God's people are also sealed on their forehead. Does that mean we have a little cross on our forehead or no, it's, it's uh, our minds. Okay, we belong to God. Our minds have been changed. And our hands, our actions, our thoughts and our deeds are Christian. The anti those who are ungodly are their minds and their hands are anti- anti-Christian, are ungodly. Okay, they do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ with their minds or their hands. Remember, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? Uh, so now is it possible? Has it been in history? Sometimes there is a literal mark. Maybe. Um, I'm hearing con- contradicting views from early church history. Some people say there were there was a literal mark for some people that if, if once you've thrown some incense to a bust of Caesar, then you got a mark. I'm hearing other historians say we have no record of any actual mark being placed on. People, know. but it doesn't matter. There could be a mark at some stage if, if people came along and said, "Look, you have to bow down to Barack Obama," and the proof that you've done it is you get a stamp like at a nightclub. Okay, um, uh, they, okay, that's physical, but of course it's, it's it's revealing something that's 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 deeper than that. Okay, so could it end up being a physical thing? Maybe, but I don't don't freak out, don't lose sleep about chips and implants and all of those things okay um, uh, what a bonus if you don't have to carry credit cards and <laughs> everything if they say though, to receive this you have to bow down and say this deny Jesus, oh that's of course We're not going to do that you can't do that but if it's okay don't, don't get caught up in sensationalism and uh, conspiracy theories, okay? That's a tough one, though. I know. They are fun. No, the whole chip thing. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. That's also a huge distraction. Look. Look. Often, often people get so caught up in that they forget. Yes. They forget. Yeah, but if the day comes, then... If you'll know. It, we won't be surprised. You'll know. It. Well, the thing will be to deny Christ. Uh, that's the issue. A chip, no chip. That's not a big deal. If you want to, if you don't, that's fine. But, um, if you want a credit card or not, if you, you know, if you want a plastic card or not, if you want a, a watch that can be tracked, if you want a phone that can be tracked. My wife can checks when I'm coming home. She says, Oh, it was so great. I could see you traveling down the road <laughs> uh, on i, you know, find find a phone on iPhone or thing. Uh, I'm not like, "How dare you? that's my privacy?" <laughs> and uh, um, the issue will be, unless unless you deny Christ, you cannot buy food. Well then we have to say, well, we cannot buy food uh, because he's more valuable than food. Um, okay now he, he hears a number. Verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 seals from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay, so here you have 12 times 12,000, which is 144,000. 12 is uh, an important number in Scripture. You'll see later on there's 12 gates and 12 foundations. It's the 12 tribes of Israel. There's the 12 apostles. Okay, all of these things. Uh, there is a change here, the tribe of Dan. Is not found, and they were the, the tribe that apostatized and had a temple uh, built to one of the the false gods, the, cat, the cow god, um, and so they they left off, which tells us again that it's probably not a a literal list. So some some who read Revelation in a more literalistic way <coughs> will say this is referring to the 144,000 virgin evangelists, Jewish virgin evangelists, who will proclaim the gospel in Israel during the seven years before the Lord Jesus returns. Have you heard that? Oh, okay. It was kind of... But that just sounds very weird to Okay, and doesn't... What, remember our hermeneutical little trick? Hearing and then looking. Okay. He hears, 144,000, and then what does he do? Verse 9, After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Okay, So who are the 144,000 Jews From the yeah. of yeah. it's the it's a great multitude that no one can number so you see this is the the ideal it's idealized we are the true Israel of God we are the, uh, the the 12 tribes of Israel Okay, we are the descendants of Abraham as Paul will say uses the apostles use that language but what are we in reality we're People from every tribe and nation and language and kindred who are saved. Okay. Does everyone see that? Okay. It's really beautiful when you start to uh, see that. Okay. So, yeah, this is the interlude. Horrible things. There's going to be death. There's going to be economic injustice. There's going to be uh, false teaching. There's gonna be all these problems, there's gonna be final judgment. But you know what? God's people are preserved through it all. Okay. So those under Domitian, yes, that's what's going to happen. It's not a it's not a surprise to God, it's been ordained by him. But he will keep you. He will keep you through whatever you go through. People in, in Iraq and ISIS and all of those things, it's horrific. But God as we go through we'll see, that's one of the, the things that God has ordained. The martyrdom of his people but not one of his sheep will be lost and this and the devil will be destroyed okay. okay now then the seven seals sort of prepares us for the seven trumpets and so now the seven trumpets are I'm arguing is now another camera angle of the same period of time Okay, and so now when you go through the trumpets, you'll see that there are, it's just different, different forms of destruction. Different ways to die, pretty much. Okay, <laughs> okay. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, and, and now it's looking more at natural ways to die. So these are um, hail and fire and uh, all those kind of things. Does that characterize world history? Have people burned to death today? I'm, I'm sure. Have people drown today, sure. Uh, people are going to die, and it's part of judgment. Okay. They're going to die by various means. It's poured out on the planet. It's it's determined for this period of time, death through all these different ways. The one that's uh, interesting is the fifth angel in chapter nine blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven and to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit and he opens this pit smoke comes out, verse 3, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, see there it is again so who who are those who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads unbelievers unbelievers they were allowed to torment them for five months but not to kill them and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. And then it goes on to explain these these uh, locusts and they have as a king over them in verse 11 the angel of the bottomless pit his name is in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Okay, so uh, this uh, I understand this to be demons okay. demons that are released uh, so I don't see it as literal locusts that look funny uh, we, we discussed at Iron Man because we're going through this but the five months so we haven't got to it yet but another way this period of time is characterized is a thousand years okay we'll explain that later But more commonly, it's described as time times and a half, which is three and a half years, 42 months, and 2,160 days. But that's all the same period of time. 42 months is three and a half years, 2,160 days is three and a half years. Here we have a period of five months. So, you know, it might be that they're released just for a period of time during this history. I think more likely, as we looked up on Saturday morning, the life cycle of a locust was five months. Okay? So their, their period of existence of, of freedom is, is, is characterized by five months. But this would be this whole period of time that they exist while they their life expectancy. Okay, uh, they will be busy tormenting unbelievers. Now I understand that tormenting to be um, uh, they're not allowed to take lives, but the tormenting is emotional, psychological. Okay. Uh, what, if, what do people go through who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? You don't have any hope? All of those things. Now, it doesn't mean Christians never have those things. No, we, we do. We understand that. But it's different. We have hope. Uh, and, and We have the body of Christ and all of these things. It's not in the same way. In Scripture, those experiences are a foretaste of hell. Okay? The loneliness, the despair... The, you know, the anxiety, the hopelessness okay? uh, that there's this demonic way, this onslaught okay? um, of all of these emotions and these experiences, these, this horror of it, okay. destruction without, without their, so it's not a physical taking of life. They're not coming along and cutting people down with swords. Okay? Of course that has characterized this period of history. That's what people have gone through. Okay, so that's what the trumpets then uh, do. Uh, they, they show us different ways to die and suffer. Uh, now we have another interlude, chapter 10 and 11. So remember we saw that with the, the, the seven seals. Between the sixth and the seventh seal there was an interlude, and we saw the the people of god chapter 10 we have this this uh, angel which may well be Christ as well and he gives a scroll to to John and then chapter 11 we have these two witnesses okay uh, perhaps you've heard that the people talking about the two witnesses who are going to come back and stand in Jerusalem and Preach uh, Elijah and Moses the same as we're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Have you heard that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe. Maybe not, but I'm going to give you how I understand it. Um. He's told to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months and I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So if you take it literally then yeah, it sounds like for three and a half years maybe Moses and Elijah they get that from later on the different praying for rain. Uh, That's where they get Elijah, Elijah praying for rain. So then they say, okay, so there's going to be a literal three and a half years where these two witnesses stand uh, and we have mention of the temple and they're going to preach and then they're going to be killed and the whole world is going to be happy and after three and a half days they're going to rise again. Okay, and so I remember growing up you'd hear, um, CNN will be there the, the two bodies will be on this in the streets in Jerusalem and for three and a half days the cameras will just be on them and then they will resurrect and uh, the Lord will return and all of these things am I saying that's totally impossible? No not saying that but if we're taking if our, if our hermeneutic is correct and our whole understanding and it's apocalyptic and it's sim- highly symbolic, and we are given other insights. So the temple. Rise and measure the temple of God. All the way through, what have I been arguing? What is the temple of God in the new covenant? The church. People of God. Measure the temple of God and all those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Remember, in the original temple had the court of Gentiles and all of those things. That's been given over to the nations to trample the holy city for 42 months. Okay, and so I understand I would See that more as those who profess to be Christian, but they're not truly saved, they're not part of the true temple. Okay, uh, and they're going to try and defile the true temple through false teaching and heresy. Um, and they're allowed to do that, it's been given to them. And, and Paul says, From amongst your own selves and from outside, false teaching is going to come, it's going to characterize this period of time. When we come to later on, when we see the beasts and all of that, we're going to see again another perspective. Of, it's going to characterize this period of time, false teaching. <coughs> Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Okay. Now remember in chapter 1, what are lampstands? The church. The church. Okay. The uh, number 2. Is used in scripture with the idea of witness. Okay? That's how the number two is used. Two or three witnesses. Okay? And here we have, these are the two witnesses. Okay. They are the two witnesses. They are the olive trees. Again, the idea of olives, olive oil, uh, light. Use olive oil for light. They're lampstands, light. So I'm arguing that these two are the, represent the church. The church is to be a witness. Okay. The universal church. Okay. Verse 5, And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them, and conquer them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven and they're caught up into heaven. And then you'll see there's a great earthquake and the seventh trumpet is the end of the world. So, Say sure that doesn't matter. is that the church? Killing people with fire and all of this, what's going on here? Okay, the three and a half years uh, you've already seen, and I'm arguing it's this whole period of time, forty two months, two thousand one hundred and sixty days, and that comes from when we did the book of Daniel. Remember the seventy weeks of Daniel? And the weeks up to the coming of Christ leave us with one week. Seven year period, and then it's after three and a half years, the, the, the covenant there's a cutting of a covenant, okay, and that seems to be the new covenant that's cut. The death of Christ brings about the new covenant that leaves us with a three and a half year period that's left, okay. Is everyone, okay, so far, um, so there's a three-and-a-half-year period left which if it followed the same order should be a literal three and a half year period but if the new testament reinterprets reinterpre- the three and a half years for us to mean this whole period then we, t- we understand it to be a symbolic period of three and a half years where else is there a three and a half year period of time Mentioned in James and in Kings. Who's the prophet? In in Kings. Elijah. Remember, he prayed, stopped the rain for three and a half years. Okay, and then the rain came. Who was the king? Ahab. And Jezebel was his wife. You see, this period of time is like that period of time. Ahab, an evil, evil king, persecuting God's people. Jezebel, an evil queen, killing God's people. And yet in the midst of it, Elijah is used by God. And the church, through her prayers, brings about the will of God and brings judgment upon his enemies. Okay, Because that's what it's talking about here. Um, uh, when, as you go through Revelation, you'll see many of the judgments are like the plagues, like God judging Egypt. So I remember, in one Sunday evening, if you're there, we looked at the parable of the woman, famous uh, persistent widow, and we saw what, what is that prayer about? Is it about persistent prayer so you can get stuff? It's about justice. That's what it's all about pray persistently for justice. Okay? And I I don't think it's a massive part of many Christians' prayer life, but revelation it's a huge part. Those enemies of God's people through the prayers of the saints they will be judged and they'll be destroyed. Okay? As we cry out to God because that's what Jesus is telling us in the parable. He will answer the prayers and he will dis- he will bring justice swiftly and destroy the, the enemies of his people. So uh, as we pray, world history, it's the means that God uses to bring about world history. Our prayers are incredibly powerful as the people of God. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so our our, our prayers are huge. Not because we're amazing, but because the God that we're praying to is is amazing and powerful. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, I don't know to who or whether it was here, but. Uh, Philip Ryken, he was was studying at St. Andrews University in Scotland, and he just attended a little Presbyterian church, maybe 20, 30 people, and they'd have their prayer meeting. And he said that at that time they were praying for the fall of communism and God's judgment on communism and these things. And when the Berlin Wall fell down, it wasn't like, what a surprise. It was like, yeah, well, we've been praying. Okay. Uh, and that's how they viewed these, this little, I mean, to the rest of the world, no one cares about 20 Presbyterians in the middle of Scotland. Okay, But as they prayed the judgment of God on false ideologies, on atheistic ideologies, as they cried out to God, God judged his enemies and the enemies of his people. Okay, And so our prayers are, are incredibly powerful. And that's, that's one of the themes of Revelation, that even now we are conquerors. Even now we rule and reign with Christ. We're seated in heavenly places with Him, and it gives us. That's why it's called a revelation. It's a revealing, an unveiling of true reality, because we can get caught up in our little lives and, um, you know, our back pains and our headaches and uh, making sandwiches and, um, you know, just like the little things of life. Just and you think that's all it is, but actually we part of something cosmic and massive. And our prayers are effectual and and they bring God's judgment on his enemies and on upon our enemies. Okay. Any questions before we have some tea?